Hey, Happy Lost Souls. We want to start sharing more positive information on the podcast about the good that humans are doing for each other. It's an important reminder that we are capable of treating each other with dignity without relying on a church or divine beings for our morals. And so we're helping to raise money for a rad neighborhood diner called One Grub Community in El Paso, Texas. Our friends Roman and Adriana have run this beautiful restaurant that will feed anyone who comes in looking for a meal. I mean it, you can pay for your meal, but anyone who needs food can eat for free. They even have a community garden where they teach folks to grow their own food in the desert. You may recognize Roman if you watched the HBO cooking show, The Big Brunch, hosted by Dan Levy. Roman was a contestant on that show and he did an incredible job spreading the word about hunger and the need for communities to take care of each other. Unfortunately, the building that housed their diner has been sold and they've been asked to leave. It used to be a church and you know we're always down to help someone who's been kicked out of a church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. These people are the most compassionate, raddest humans I know and they deserve to be in a stable place where they can continue their good work. If you're able, consider donating to them at gofundme.com slash onegrubcommunity. That's the word one, grub, G-R-U-B, community. Or you can follow the link on our Instagram, on our website, or in the show notes to this episode. Anyway, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This vile viper, this ignominious carbuncle, shall henceforth be solemnly banned from our holy presence, rejected from the communion of Holy Mother Church. Excommunicate him! What good would that do? Outsider of the faith, necromancer, a diabolist, a sorcerer and a damned heretic. He's a very naughty boy. Welcome to Heretic Party, a podcast for apostates. And a podcast for all the other happy lost souls out there who want to hear screwed up stories about living through and living beyond religion. Hey Joe, how's it going? Oh wait, my name's Christian. I'm I'm a host. This is Joe, he's a host. Thank you, Christian host. My name's Joe, co-host. What's your name? Christian host? <laughs> I mean, we can both be co-host. Yeah, co-host. We really, we're really, we're killing this intro, bro. <laughs> this is, this is the type of professionalism and energy you can expect from two schmucks still learning how to do this thing. You know, we're, we're doing our, we're doing our darndest and uh, I think we're doing pretty good. I certainly make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you could add me to that list <laughs> done hey how do you feel about if i say instead of uh for the happy lost souls out there who want to hear fucking gross ass but stinky stories about <laughs> living through living beyond religion for those who want to hear a real borscht of stories a real casserole of sasserole <laughs> you know i'm just getting bored saying the same thing every time you can mix it up. Trying to spice it up. Give it some uh, some zazz. Razzle, razzle dazzle zazzle. In a weird turn of events, uh, today, Joe, we're not joined by our content producer, researcher, Leanne Collins. It's a little bit lonelier on the on podcast today. It is. It feels strange, right? Yeah. Leanne just started a new job and also is in the middle of moving to a new home. So we certainly understand. Super busy. <laughs> yeah. She's got all those Bibles to move, you know? <laughs> Boxes of them. They're not <laughs> like light. <the> renta. <laughs> 
had had to rent a rent a, a forklift to to move all those all those old scrolls and shit that she reads. Yeah, it's like that old saying: God only gives you enough Bibles that you can haul yourself, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. When you don't see footprints next to you, it's because Jesus said you had too many Bibles and decided to stop carrying them for you. He's like, you got it. Our gods are dead. Ancient Klingon warriors slew them a millennia ago. They were more trouble than they were worth. So, Joe, today we're going to take our first foray into what will be a common topic. We just haven't touched on it really yet, and that's religious music. Yeah, man. I know lots of listeners are pumped for this. I know I am, too. Such a big part of our lives, right? I was going to say Christian music because that's our backgrounds, but we need to just meet more ex-other religions to find out what their bands are, you know? Yeah, learn a bunch of new music. Didn't uh, didn't Scientology have a band, like a, a weird Cuban jazz band? I fucking love Cuban jazz, and that's the first cool thing I've heard about Scientology. <laughs> Fuck your own face! It's actually really good, the little bits that I've heard. So, weirdly, that brings me to a question I had for later on, but we might as well talk about it now. And that question is, what makes something Christian music? Or what makes a band a Christian band? Because if it's just that the people involved are a particular religion, then we have watched a lot of Scientology movies. That's true. Yeah. At what point, while listening to Bob Dylan, do you consider that you're listening to a Christian artist? He converted at one point. Totally. Is it just that, or does it count if it's just a casual reference in a song to God? I am a God, so hurry up with my damn massage. Would you only consider it a Christian band if it was a band that was dedicated to ministry, that was actively using their status as musicians to try to convert? Hmm, it's a good question. I wonder if it just falls on the artist, right, for them to be like, this is our mission, this is what we're here to do, and we're out and open about it. Hurry up with my damn croissants! Does that make their band a Christian band? Probably not to the record label. I don't know, that is a good question. I know that Billboard keeps Christian music separate, but I think that's self-imposed. Like, Christian bands have sequestered themselves. Christian labels have segregated themselves. I'm not sure. I, I think it's just muddy. You know, Johnny Cash, super Christian, sang songs about God also sang songs about doing cocaine and murdering women so it's a little yeah alice cooper's another example of that great example alice cooper's like a christian dude and he's uh i've heard his concerts described as like scenes from hell i'm like that sounds awesome dude joe when you were growing up were you forced to listen to only christian music uh no mostly just my parents music so a lot of like disco and then like a lot of trucker rock and roll a lot of spanish language jams when I was in elementary school, at Christian school, my parents bought me like, here's like a Christian rap CD and like, I don't know, like. Dude, it has been a long time since I've been into a Christian record store, but I wonder if they still have those sections set up. Hey, are you into Nine Inch Nails? Well, you'll probably like this. And then it's a not very related, but harder <laughs> Christian band. Do you remember those? Yeah, totally. Just designed for you to be able to one-to-one -one replace your secular music with Christian music. Oh, man. There has to have been like a Christian record label that's signing bands for that purpose. Like, you're going to be the Nine Inch Nails and you're going to be the Van Halen. I don't know. <laughs> you're going to be the Rob Zombie or whatever. 
So I'll tell you exactly who the Christian Nine Inch Nails was supposed to be. I haven't thought about them in years, but a picture came into my head. The band was called Crank with a K. Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar. And it was like industrials. It, it fucking sucked, man. It was awful. <laughs> 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 Who's the Christian Van Halen then? Oh, dude, I, I don't know. I It's Striper. It's got to be Striper, right? Oh, yeah, Striper, dude. <laughs> to hell with the devil? I guess so. Well, they're more like Christian Rat because none of their guitar solos were good enough to be Van Halen levels. Dude, that is such an accurate burn that it burns all the way to all the way to hell with the devil. Yeah, dude. They all dress like bees. They did. They did. I was asked in my house to listen to only Christian music, but my mom was so disinterested in music in general. As long as I didn't play anything that was immediately offensive, she wouldn't notice. My mom found a Megadeth CD once and made me throw it away. That was pretty fun. Uh, Despite that, I took that calling from the church to listen to only Christian music. I took that to heart. And there was a long period there where I got rid of anything I had that wasn't Christian. I intentionally listened to only Christian bands. And because of that, I missed some really fun stuff in the 90s. Oh, man, I have a very vivid memory of driving with my mom in the car. And we were listening to the radio. And I turned to her and I said... Why is every song about love? And I was like real annoyed. <laughs> My mom was like, well, what do you want songs to be about? I thought to myself for a second, I was all, I don't know, monsters? <laughs> yeah. So you should have seen my face when I found out who the misfits were and who Rob Zombie was. I was like a freaking kid on Christmas when I heard those musicians for the first time. And then you saw Guar and you're like, what I meant was songs by monsters. (laughs) Yeah, totally. If you are a band of monsters, you can sing songs about love. I'm cool with it. As long as there's monsters in there somewhere. Totally. That's my line in the sand. So Christian music was a hundred million dollar industry. I mean, that sounds like a lot, but I to compare it to like secular music or even just like a genre of music, it's probably small, right? Like a hundred millions of shitload of money, but on the scale of worldwide music, can't be a huge chunk, right? It's not a huge chunk. And there have only been a handful of quote unquote Christian artists that have crossed over into like the Billboard Top 40. Amy Grant, Sixpence, None the Richer. Oh, were they? Were they, re- they were a religious band? Oh, yeah. They played Christian music festivals. The bassist was the brother of a guy I went to church with, and he, the bassist, uh, uh, J.J. Placencio, would come to church there every once in a while. And uh, I was kind of torn because at that point, I hated poppy stuff like his band, but I also thought it was cool that he was a rock star and shit. <laughs> but uh, any band that sang their lyrics instead of screamed them, I was not about at that point. <laughs> so I read a book called Body Piercing Saved My Life, a non-religious reporter who spent years experiencing and studying the Christian music phenomenon. And one of the things he talks about is these bands who skyrocket their popularity within Christian communities by being extremely fervent and overtly Christian. And then as soon as they can kind of like ease their way into becoming a crossover into popular music, they scale that back really hard. Well, like P.O.D., P.O.D. is one of the bands that he interviewed in that book. He specifically mentioned that they had this pro-life song that 
was really edgy and all anti-abortion and stuff. And when he got a chance to interview them, they were right on the cusp of major mainstream popularity. I mean, obviously that didn't play out too hard. There'll be a whole bunch of listeners right now who never heard of POD. (laughs) They had one summer. They had one summer. But he said when he interviewed them that he asked them specifically about that song and that they got really weird, looked at each other and like looked at their agent and got weird about answering the question. Whoa. And then finally one of them was like, uh, yeah, that was kind of just for cred back in the day, but we, we don't want to be about that now. And like weird. I know. Right. I don't know a lot about the top tier mainstream Christian artists, the ones that have sort of made their way into the popular consciousness. But I would imagine that's a pretty common thing, right? Yeah. Just God hard for the day number one fans and then toss them aside once you get the sweet taste of the devil's famous butt. (laughs) Well, if you can just make it to like a mainstream record label, if you can just sort of scale it back to a mention of God here and there, maybe that slips past most of your mainstream audience and it's just enough to satiate your Christian audience. I know that sounds like a very calculated, almost political maneuver, but it's a real thing that Christian bands do when they when they get popular enough. Huh. I mean, I really, um, I've been kind of dreading and kind of excited to talk about the fact that I played in some Christian bands back in the day. I'm a loser. Whoa. Can I have your autograph? <laughs> Let me translate that to what actually happened, okay? I mostly ineptly stumbled my way through playing some chords while screaming and jumping around a stage and Felt like a fucking rock star. So I played in a garbage band. <laughs> I don't have any of the recordings anymore, but I'm I'm hoping that someone has them. At least one of our listeners used to play in that band with me because he called me the other day and we talked for a while. I, I'm hoping that he has the recording somewhere because I deserve to be humiliated by playing that for everyone. <laughs> but because of that small amount of exposure that I had, I did get to know some bigger Christian artists, some, some members of Christian bands. It's just the nature of it. There weren't a whole lot of us. That's sort of the thing about small Christian bands or underground Christian music, if you could call it that, is that there was this really small audience, but that same audience was starving for music, right? This is embarrassing to admit, but I knew that we weren't great. I thought maybe one day we'd be good, but I knew that my band kind of sucked. You suck! But I also knew that we were probably good enough to make it as one of those shitty Christian bands. <laughs> we just kept practicing. I, I remember, this is so embarrassing to, to admit, but I remember actively thinking, oh, we're never going to be good enough to be a mainstream band. But you don't have to be when you're a Christian band. <laughs> and I knew it was true. And I don't think I ever said it out loud because I was, I was nervous that the rest of the bandmates thought we were better than we were. But... Now, after talking to everyone later, like, we all know we suck. (laughs) Everyone had the exact same idea. (laughs) Well, we were so loud and so exciting and screamy. And we did a lot of, like, dumb theatrical things. Like, uh, one time we covered the whole stage in uh, prayer candles and then had a guy in robes read the Bible in Latin while we, like, screamed in the background. Dude, that sounds awesome. (laughs) We did a handful of cool things. We got thrown off of a stage. We played a Catholic boys school and one song in, they came and they unplugged us. (laughs) Whoa. 
at some point i'll find the recording somewhere someone has them i didn't i didn't go to a ton of christian shows i was just too young for the scene i think when you were involved in it and then by the time i was old enough that was not the scene i wanted to be in but during that time i did go to a few shows and i remember the scene was like it was vibrant there was like a real cool mishmash of different groups of you had like your metal heads and then you had like your punks and then you had your ska kids and then your like weirdo artists and then you had like your like straight laced christian dudes with carry their bibles around with them or whatever like i don't know it was super weird and cool that that totally makes sense uh i had kind of stepped out of it around the time when you were old enough to be a part of it like i played shows on the same bill as at the drive-in like how great they are and how shitty i am that tells you how inclusive that scene was <laughs> when i was actively playing music when we were playing at least every week there were christian music venues that for the most part wanted christian bands only or they would they would sort of shuffle in a few non-christian bands but they would give them restrictions they would say like well don't say anything like satanic don't cuss stuff like that and so there was this weird double standard where the the christian bands could play anywhere but the non-Christian bands could only play at the bars and clubs and stuff like that. They couldn't play at some of these pretty big venues. Some of the Christian venues in our town were, were some of the biggest ones. There was a real attitude of, we're the Christian bands, we have a real purpose, and they don't. We're fighting for something good, and they aren't. We still loved music from a lot of those musicians. We still love playing with them. But a great example is there was this incredible guitarist who wanted to play with us, who would have turned us into almost a real band, <laughs> closer to a real band. But he wasn't a Christian, and we turned him down. Oh. And uh, yeah, I should look him up and see how many fucking gold records that guy has. Yeah, he changed his name to Slash. <laughs> Dude, he actually looked a lot like Slash. That's funny <laughs> that you said that. <laughs> he had that same long, curly black hair. Anyway. I mean, other great stuff that came out of there, Sparta and Mars Volta and all that rad stuff. And then there's uh, Cigarettes After Sex and Pink, Orange, Red and that whole group, right? Yeah. And it's it's cool that you brought this up because there's also Emily Davis and the Murder Police, who I was able to interview for this episode. Em is a great example, I bet, because Em came up in the Christian music scene and then transitioned out of that after transitioning out of Christianity. I remember being at uh, at some of their shows, yeah. I've seen M play. Yeah, M from Emily Davis and the Murder Police is a killer singer, songwriter, like folk punk musician, and has played with Bad Religion and is a really fascinating person who came up through the church expecting to be a full-on Christian musician and then ended up leaving the church and now has an entirely different purpose. But uh, you'll you'll hear about it when you hear the interview. So, Joe, you want to you wanna play a game? Let's play a game. What are you, the little toy from Saw? What? You know, he's always like, oh, you want to play a game? Oh, yeah. Jigsaw. Yeah. Yeah. Most of our game ideas happen right now. I like that. Keeps me on my toes. Keeps you feeling young. I feel young because I drink a lot and have no kids. <laughs> That'll do it. Like, I don't I don't feel healthy like a young person. I just feel young because I, that's how fucking immature I still am. I feel young unless I need to do something fast. <laughs> I feel young unless I need to do something. <laughs> yeah. Especially on a Monday. Ugh. Dad, can I ask you a question? Sure, honey. Why are you dedicating your life to blasphemy? Don't worry, sweetheart. If I'm wrong, I'll recant on my deathbed. 
So on Instagram, I asked the ex-Christians, which Christian bands still make it onto your playlist? Ooh, this is good. I love the interaction with the listeners. Yeah, I got a bunch of responses. There were 19 unique bands listed. Ooh. A lot of them were, were mentioned multiple times. You can see where this is going, huh? Am I going to have to guess? Joe, I'm going to give you one Christian point for every one of the bands you can name that our listeners still actively listen to. A uh, quick asterisk on this, this question that said ex-Christians. Several of those people are still actively Christians, and I know who you are. I got my eyes on you. <laughs> you can't fool me by sneaking in your favorite Christian band on here. <laughs> I promise you I'm going to shit on them. But uh, it was great to hear from you all. And I, I don't have any problem with active Christians listening on here. In fact, I, I welcome it. The actively religious, get on here. Find out what sort of rift has been created between the active members of your church and the people who've left because that divide has not gotten enough attention. And it's maybe your fault and maybe not your fault. <laughs> I treated ex-Christians like shit when I was actively in the church. If someone left the church, I thought they were bad. And if you're doing that, Christians listening to this, go fuck yourself. I don't know. I couldn't come up with a better insult. Yeah, fuck, fuck you. Like, be kinder. Amen to that shit. So, Joe, 19 unique bands. Everyone that you can list, you get a Christian point. Some of them have four or five votes on them. Okay. I, I would be shocked if you got all 19, Joe, but I say go for it. Let's see if you can get a, get a handful of those Christian points. All right. So these are Christian bands that people will still put on their playlist. So they're the good ones, huh? Mm. That's the idea. Well, I know Zayo released some new music a year or two ago. Zayo, let me tell you how you just lost that point. What do you mean lost? One person listed Zayo. <laughs> but they specifically said only older Zayo. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> you, were, you said new Zayo music, you're out. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> All right, what else you got? Oh, Blaster. How did I forget Blaster the Rocket Man? Blaster is on there. Correctamundo. Good job. Um, Striper. <laughs> Striper is on there. Correctamundo. Yeah. Starflyer 59. Correctamundo. Yeah. I still listen to Starflyer. They're great. Starflyer 59 was my very first concert. Really? Well, that's not true. I got taken with a church group to see DC Talk in a stadium. <laughs> they filled a stadium? Oh, yeah, man. Whoa. DC, I love rap music. <laughs> Remember the song where they sing about how they love rap music? <laughs> Good God. But that was with a church group. My first show on my own, unsupervised, Starflyer 59. Anyway. Uh, you said DC Talk. I'm assuming that's not on there. No. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the electric one. Joy Electric. No, they're not on here. But good guess. Uh, Man, I'm realizing that you are so the wrong person to do this game with. Yeah, I only know the bands I listen to, so I'm just going to do that. Uh, Mortification? I wish, man. No, <laughs> they're not on here. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm bad okay. at this. <laughs> thinking of calling in uh, Balthazar right now. We might have to, man. He's like a, an encyclopedia of that biz. Yo, dude. How's it going? It's going okay. All right, so Balthazar, I need to tell you why you're here, and it's a disappointing reason. <laughs> I was trying to play a game 
with Joe that I spent, I'm talking minutes to create. <laughs> Whole minutes. <laughs> Whole minutes. And then it turns out that Joe doesn't know any Christian bands. <laughs> kind of. You're my lifeline. I want you to try to guess amongst our listeners which Christian bands are good enough to still be on their playlists. And then after each one, I'll tell you whether you're right or wrong. All right. Best 19 Christian bands, according to your audience. I think I got it. Love the confidence. All right. We'll start with one I really hope is on there. Pedro the Lion. Pedro the Lion is not on the list. Oh. Ah. Pedro the Lion is a tricky one, right? Because Pedro the Lion was a Christian band, depending on how you define Christian bands, but isn't now, depending on how you define it. Wow, okay. Um, Starflyer 59. Absolutely. All right. Uh, MXPX. No. Jeez. Fuck. Um, let's go with Zayo. Correctamundo. No way. Zayo made it on the list? Yeah. Fuck yeah, but Zayo is awesome. I don't think they're a Christian band anymore. I think they play music still, but they're not associated with Christianity. Yeah, I think so. How about uh, Blaster the Rocket Man? Correctamundo! Fuck yes! Blaster is so fucking good. I, I would put them on mixes still. I, I still love that band. That band is amazing. Yeah. What about Strongarm? Overcome? I'm gonna keep going down that road. Focal Point? Living Sacrifice? Christ. X-Tool? Uh... Oh, jeez. Um, NIV? No one is a victim? Uh, Mortification? No, Joe gets that one, too. Jeez. Uh, oh, no. Um, who else? Who else we got? Uh, Danielson Family? Correctamundo! Ooh, yeah, that's... I, I put a song on a mix. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, Striper? Correctamundo! Oh, yeah. Savior Machine? Wrong, 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 wrong. Uh, let me give you two more. Um, let's go with um, Slick Shoes. Wrong, 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 wrong. Um, Keith Green. You're wrong. No, both good guesses. Uh, all right. All right, my friends. Okay. Here, here are the ones you missed. Are you ready? Let's hear it. All right, I'm ready. 90 Pound Wuss? Oh. Ooh, yeah. I should have guessed that one. Yeah. Uh, Devil Wears Prada. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Stave Saker. Okay. Skillet. Oh, yeah. Okay. And we get to the really obscure ones. Creed. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I forgot about them. Depending on how you want to define it, that counts. Dennison Whitmer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. The Choir. Yeah. King's Kaleidoscope. Yeah. Violet Burning. Oof. Yeah. As Cities Burn. Yeah, some of these are just a little after my time, which but I, I wasn't strictly listening to Christian music, so hey. Yeah, some of them I, I listened to specifically because I had never heard of them before until people mentioned them in the uh in this Instagram story. And I was pleasantly surprised with some of them. Well that's good. That's good. Element one oh one. Oh, yeah. I remember them. Pigeon John. <laughs> I've never heard of that one. Never That's heard of one either. I've never heard of. Yeah. It came with a tag that said, though I'm not sure he'd be considered Christian anymore. I don't really know what that means, huh. but. He's a pigeon. Good old Pigeon John. <laughs> 
can pigeon be Christian? <laughs> a real a real question for the ages. The question of our generation. The last two I kind of cheated on. Multiple people answered none. And I wasn't sure if there was a band called None. You never know. <laughs> and one person answered none with a puke emoji. <laughs> it's the classic none with puke emojis so those two didn't count there were really only 17 bands but uh, i found that really interesting i can't believe it i'm kind of disappointed that the soundtrack to sister act isn't on there that's full of bangers (laughs) i got a third of them almost but i maybe named a handful of bands that were Christian at some point that actually had some good songs. So it turns out Balthazar does not agree with the list provided by our listeners, but he does have his own list. <laughs> so, uh, hey, yeah. Balthazar, thank you for your time. Uh, thanks for thanks for hanging out with us. Hey, I have an idea. Why don't you put together a Spotify playlist of Christian songs that are still worth listening to? And if you can put that together by May 15th, I'll throw it on uh, on the episode notes. For sure, I'll do that. Call it something really offensive. <laughs> I will. I will. Yeah, that sounds fun. I could totally do that. Rad. Thanks, Big Booty Balthazar. Hell yeah. All right, brother. Thanks, baby. You did better than Joe. Yeah. I would now like to talk about each of your individual religious beliefs. I've been involved in a number of cults, both as a leader and a follower. Keep spicy. Spicy. You have more fun as a father, but make more money as a leader. Psych. So I think what we need to talk about now, Joe, is one very specific Christian artist. Okay. And that man is Carmen. Ooh. I remember Carmen. (laughs) I remember people pronouncing his name Carman because that's how it's spelled. (laughs) C-A-R-M-A-N. I was one of those people. (laughs) Were you? Oh, yeah. So I saw him live, and part of the reason I want to talk about him is that you'll find out in this interview with M later that M and I grew up in the same town but didn't know each other until long after we had both left the church. But we found out that we were both at the same Carmen concert as young Christians. Whoa! And I remember him saying his name. He's from New Jersey. He's an Italian-American. So maybe he says his name a little differently. Maybe he did intend it to be Carman. We've been saying it wrong this whole time. It's Carmain. It's like how I recently found out that J.R.R. Tolkien's name is J.R.R. Tolkien, and I'm never going to be able to say it correctly. Or instead of Shalman, it's Shalman. I just learned that. (laughs) Shalman. Since we're about to talk about demons, I want to do a quick content warning for, for Shalman. Shalman, the rest of this podcast is going to involve a self-aggrandizing, self-centered Christian artist who made a music video about how he murdered demons. And so if that's something that is going to be a problem for you, maybe maybe turn the podcast off now, Shalman. Maybe you don't need to hear. You know, I think Shalman's a little sensitive. I don't think Shalman needs to, needs to hear stories about how Carmen fancying himself a demon murderer. No joke. Carmen freaking goes in guns blazing. I'm glad Shalman wasn't in the vicinity. He'd have mega post-traumatic stress demon disorder or whatever. He is, he's a sensitive, sensitive Shalman. Okay, so Carmen was, for a period there in the 80s and 90s, the most popular Christian music artist in the world. Carmen was Billboard's Contemporary Christian Artist of the Year in 1990 and 1992. And Joe, if you had to guess how many gold and platinum records Carmen has, how many would you guess? 
Oh, man. I don't know. Five? Three times that many, man. Fifteen. Holy moly. Yeah. Dang, dude. My parents bought me a Carmen CD when I was a little kid because he had a song about, like, monsters or something. I guess I was a, a time when I was afraid of the dark, and so they bought me a Carmen CD. Aww. Did it work? I guess it worked. I don't know. <laughs> Because then they bought me another CD, and it was called Riot, which stood for Righteous Invasion of Truth. Jesus. And he rap, he raps. I'm using very large quotation marks when I say raps. He does the same thing he does in Dude. this in this video, where he kind of just like speaks lyrics. I don't know. If you were just to put a slappy bass behind this song, it would have been a Primus song. <laughs> Dude, Carmen is like a a New Jersey Johnny Cash. If instead of having his big break, he joined community theater. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've seen him in interviews, but he has like that Guido accent, right? He He talks like that normally. But then he does these weird ass videos where he puts himself in costumes and he sort of like Johnny Cash monologues his way through a, a story about fighting demons and spiritual warfare. And then some fairly competently well-produced music videos go along with it, at least considering the time. They're not interesting or creative, but they are competently created music videos with, with puppets and stuff and special effects. Like amazing special effects, yeah. Like really good prosthetic makeup and stuff. The prosthetics, it's not quite Jim Henson, but it is on the level of Star Trek, and we're going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> Carmen is a huge deal. He, he also had the record for being the Christian artist to perform in front of the largest audience, 90,000 people in Tennessee. Oh, dang. That's like early Kanye numbers. Hurry up with my damn croissant! This particular video for a song called Satan Bites the Dust. Satan Bite the Dust. And it was one of his most popular videos and songs. And it's really emblematic of the Christians of the 80s and 90s, right? These Christians who saw themselves as a new breed of Christian, which is literally a lyric in this song. Because I represent a whole new breed of Christian of today. And I'm authorized and deputized to blow you clean away. <laughs> And Carmen preached and sang as if things like miracle healings were common, sang as if prayer consistently gave miraculous results, as if there were demons around you all the time that needed to be fought, like actively fought. Yeah, doesn't he at one point in the song just pray away alcoholism? Imagine if it was that easy. Jesus. It's so insulting to imply that. Like, it's so annoying. So here's what happens. Let's just run through it. Carmen rides up to an Old West saloon on a horse. And I think it's interesting that instead of going for, like, the white gunslinger outfit, you know, hero comes to town outfit, he went for an all-black outfit. This was the era of the Christian anti-hero, right? Like, the Christian underdog. Is it like riding the waves of Reaganism? Like, yeah, we're, like, cool now because... It's the early 90s. It's got to be. It's so weird. So here he is. He's got a he's got a gun at his hip. Not just any gun. It has like a special effects like electricity that goes over it when he puts it back in his holster. Or no, he takes it out just to show the camera. Check this out. And yeah. the gun's all zero zero. And then he just sticks it back in his holster. Just so you know, it's a magic It's a magic gun. Yeah, these aren't real bullets. I'm not murdering people. I'm blessing them with bullets. <laughs> Spiritual bullets. 
that's the weirdest thing about this. There was a whole trend of Christian musicians whose songs were about violence against demons. Like the violence was okay. There were Christian hip hop artists. There was a, a rapper named T-Bone that my friends and I used to listen to. And Joe, his songs were about capping demons. That's right. 1997, the demon executed up in this piece. I'm going to kill all y'all demons. That's the sound of demons screaming for the knife. And I'm the demon executed hitting switch tonight. <laughs> and so there would be gunshots in his songs. <laughs> and his songs were about how he didn't smoke weed. And there would be like bong bubbles in the songs. I beat a man never puffing on the boot of the Texas chainsaw having demon executed. <laughs> that was him smoking weed recording the song. And if you didn't speak English and were listening to it, you would just be like, oh, this is a song about shooting people and smoking weed, because that was clearly <laughs> what it's about. It would literally the lyric would literally be like, and I don't and I don't smoke the ganja, and then you'd hear blu, blu, blu. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, T Bone. I forgot about that motherfucker till right now. <laughs> oh man. So uh in comes Carmen. He's all tough and he's monologuing as he walks in and he's telling all the demons like, your time is up, your day has come. But I know who I am through Jesus Christ, so I talk to you demons like dogs. What if some of those demons were just in there having a quick drink? You know, they had a long week at the fire factory. It looked like quite a few of them were there just for that, taking a load off, working class demons, just trying to get a, a quick brewski, maybe a girlfriend for the night. I don't know. There's some really good, like, Muppets around here. These, like... Yeah, it's like the Dark Crystal Bar. It's totally the Dark Crystal Bar. <laughs> like, Agra's back there wearing, like, a like a bustier trying to... Yes! And talk people into going upstairs with her. That's how I know it's coming! It is weird, man. There is a demon dressed as a woman of the night. There we go. With creepy demon face prosthetics, but then a revealing bright red velvet dress. It's This is fucking weird, y'all. And so Carmen tells all these demons who are hanging out in this bar, your time has come and I'm here to find Satan. And then he makes his way through each of the demons there and names them and kills them. <laughs> and the first one is the demon of alcoholism, who just looks like some cool, like, looks like a character from Labyrinth or something. And he was just sitting down. Carmen walks up to him, roasts him to his face, then blows him away. You demon of alcoholism, you'll be the first to go. There's deliverance from you through Jesus Christ, so hit the road. Just shoots him. Like, this is a this is a Christian hero, a Christian musician hero just shooting a demon. And then the demon disappears, so you don't see, like, blood and wounds. You don't have a body laying there. So I think that was their compromise. I remember seeing this in, in uh, God, I had to be, like, 10 years old. That sounds right. I was about 10 years old, too, because I remember I got the CD that, uh, that changed my life and turned me off of Christian music. And that was the soundtrack <laughs> to Mortal Kombat. <laughs> that's the one that that's the one that converted you to cool music yeah because it had techno and weird ass metal on it and i was like oh yeah those are things i like i guess <laughs> i haven't given that a shot in a long time but i bet it fucking slaps <laughs> there's some some juicy gems on there it was mortal Kombat and the soundtrack to johnny mnemonic my jams oh dude fucking william gibson yeah johnny mnemonic i, I know it's not a perfect film but it, it fucking rules cyberpunk fans out there go watch johnny mnemonic again and go into it with a forgiving heart <laughs> not an evil demon destroying vindictive heart like carmen yeah 
He doesn't even give these demons chances. And then he goes after the demon of infirmity. Inf- oh, fuck. Infirmity? Infirmity. A demon of infirmity. Leanne would come in and tell us how to pronounce this. That's true. We miss you already, Leanne. Yeah, come back and tell us how to pronounce words. <laughs> <laughs> we'll post a correction three episodes from now. We'll be all, oh, yeah, back in that episode. We meant to say infirmity. Yeah, you got it. You know what? I bet a bunch of people listening to this who didn't grow up religious don't realize that a lot of Christian groups consider sickness to be caused by demons. Yes. Yeah. So Carmen consistently has songs about people being healed by prayer, as if it's something that happens on the regular, common. We lay hands on the sick and they recover, so out the door. And I know there were Christians who believed that sort of thing, but he treats it as if, like, just get out of here, sickness. Like, we pray and people get healed. Yeah, he just walks around healing people all willy-nilly the same way T-Bone walks around not smoking weed all (laughs) willy-nilly. I am just guessing, but I have a real suspicion that T-Bone had a real difficult time not smoking weed. (laughs) I'll bet T-Bone owns like four dispensaries here in Denver. I hope so. (laughs) T-Bone, if you're out there, God, just, dude, just smoke the weed, man. Just smoke it. Yeah, try it. It's not Beelzebub's broccoli. (laughs) Yeah, it's not Apollon's asparagus. (laughs) How did I know you're going to have another one of those? God damn it. I've been I've been kind of stalling because I don't really want to talk about it, but we come to the last demon that Carmen is going to murder before he fights Satan. Spoiler alert, at the end of the music video, he fights Satan. But before that, he's got to fight one more demon, and it's the demon of false religion. And did you get a look at this character, Joe? Oh, yeah, dude. Also, when he says, yeah, you demon of false religion and the stupid people you ensnare, he, like, roasts people for, like... <laughs> following other religions what was representing this demon of false religion is clearly either a a middle eastern person or or a jewish person the demon of false religion is wearing a turban is like small and hunched over what looks like a maybe a balalaka or something that looks foreign to the united states stringed instrument something that looks like a lute yeah and i mean he makes it pretty clear i i think he's talking about judaism he doesn't shoot this demon he takes the instrument and hits the demon over the head with it and he says play that in your temple Come on! play that in your temple oh yeah that's right oh shit it's really fucking gross holy man. shit dude super gross like fuck carmen i mean and fuck christian music i mean fuck a lot of this stuff but <laughs> anyway <laughs> So then Satan appears to finally face off with Carmen, and Satan is... I don't know if you've ever seen the episode A Fistful of Datas. (laughs) I I don't know if you've ever seen... (laughs) The episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Is that one where they do a Western scene? Oh, yeah. I'm going to drop it to you right now, and it's it's going to make you real sad. Oh, no, it does look like Worf. No! <laughs> Turns out Satan is just Worf the Klingon from no. Star Trek The Next Generation. Carmen, you <laughs> asshole. And uh, true Star Trek fans will get this and no one else will. It looks like Worf in a cowboy hat, but really, it's the Chalnoth. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you got that. And if you're not, that joke wasn't for you. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. <laughs> They can't all be for everyone. (laughs) So Satan shit talks him a little bit. Carmen shit talks him back. 
And then Carmen sticks a couple of bullets, new bullets in his gun. And he says, like, this one's the word of God and this one's the blood of Jesus and whatever the fuck. And then you think that they're going to have some kind of fair, like, standoff, draw, see who draws first. But it turns out that Carmen just, like, invoking Jesus' name makes it so that Satan can't even pull his gun out of his holster. It's just, like, frozen there with lightning. (laughs) And Carmen shoots him. Yeah, shoots an unarmed demon. Yeah, he kills Satan, and he says, Satan, bite the dust. It's it's so fucking lame. Joe, so the chorus of this song is him singing, I'm a part of a whole new breed of Christian of today. What do you, like, I touched on it a little bit, but what the fuck is that about? I don't know, man. Uh, it's weird, because it's, like, oddly familiar to current days. Like I said earlier, like, post-Reaganism, maybe all these super evangelical conservatives feel like, the tide's turning. Now it's our turn to be on top and we're going to be cool cowboys. Woohoo! It feels like that. And I feel like there's a lot of that going on right now, too, because I'd be fine with more shitty videos like that. But it feels like it's it's been amped up and is scarier these days. Well, yeah, you were talking about in the last episode about your experiences behind the bar. Christians getting shittier. Religious folks feeling emboldened to be shittier. And they think they're the good guys. I'm like a tough John Wayne guy. It's very romanticized, I guess, is the word. Dude, that's absolutely right. The imaginary tough guy thing. What this video from 1990 is missing is Carmen is the aggressor. Carmen shows up at the saloon, kills all the demons, and preaches that God's will is more powerful than all these things. And I don't know if something between this era of Carmen and now either convinced Christians that they aren't as powerful as they thought they were, so they needed to take stronger action, or convinced them that they are being so persecuted that they have to not just fight back through fighting demons, but fight back by being complete fucking assholes in our laws, on social media, to their families, in our interpersonal communications, like in in our relationships with each other. Something like that changed between these two times because I think that if Carmen made that same video today, it would be a video about how he was like trapped in the trapped in the jail of the old West town by the Satan sheriff and he would have to like fight the demons to fight his way out. Maybe like they feel like Carmen at the end of this video, like we're so tough, we made the devil bite the dust. And for the last 30 years, we've just been turning the other cheek, but not anymore. And it's like, it's lots of uh, build up and talking about something, but they don't even know what the end game is. They're just like, it's going to happen. And you're like, what? Oh, you'll see. <laughs> like they don't, They don't know. <laughs> It's just like with the whole politics thing. It's more about what they're against than what they actually stand for. And it sucks. With a little bit of racism slept in. Yeah, just that's a, exactly how. A dash of racism. I'm glad that we dug up Carmen. So he uh, he died, by the way. Recently, <laughs> we like didn't physically year. dig him up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't, did not mean it that way. Oh, man. Um... <laughs> Well, he died like last year. He'd been ill. I guess he had some kind of uh, cancer for a while, and but he didn't die from cancer. He died from like a, a hernia surgery. Oh, dang. And I didn't know that till I was researching for this episode. I do remember on Facebook, some old Christian pals being like, pray for Carmen, he's got cancer. And then, yeah, then reading later, like, praise God, Carmen's alive. He was still like touring and yeah. shit. That was like not long ago. But uh, the demon of infirmary. <laughs> Looks like... 
<laughs> Got him in the end. <laughs> That's dark. In true Old West fashion, Infirmity's brother. Someone dying of disease is not a laughing matter and it sucks but it is a little interesting that he literally had a video about how he shot the demon of infirmity and escaped death from disease and then died from a disease yeah i'm gonna cut all that (laughs) well joe i'm glad we talked about carmen let's get to this interview with m m had some incredibly insightful things to say about their music and their transition from religion and for those people who've been listening who are interested in hearing someone's story about the actual process of leaving religion and what was going on in their heads at the time, M's story is going to be really interesting. And their music is so steeped in biblical themes. It's really interesting to see where all that came from. Yeah. I hope everyone enjoys it. And I really wish Leanne was here to hang out with us today. But we miss you, Leanne. We love you. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Or hear you soon. I won't see you. I wish everyone called me M. It's it's not it's not a big enough desire of mine that I tell everybody call me M. But I like M. It's a little more gender neutral, so I enjoy that. But whatever, <laughs> call me Bob. <laughs> so how do you identify now? Uh, for you know, ideology, philosophy, theism wise. I think agnostic is good. Although I've had loved ones take issue with that because they think it's a cop out. I don't. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I I don't know. I just you know when I when I when I first left religion, there was a lot of animosity on my end, and I, I think it translated to a, a a caricature that people are maybe very familiar with, with regard to the angry atheist. I had a lot of um, I think religious trauma I had to work through, and I think I had a lot of. I mean, my whole my whole framework had shifted, and I was an adult, and I had to like cope with a lot of things and so it took a lot of processing i would say that my i'm an atheist in as much as i don't believe i have no reason to believe in the existence of a god but that isn't to say that a god isn't possible you know i i I have plenty of reason to believe in the realms of science and what science has demonstrated through rigorous testing and and 
um, data collection to be true. I, I, I feel like I have good reason to believe in much of that, but to say that I have any good reason to believe in um, a God or even a, a loving, caring God that has a direct influence in my life. I don't have a reason to, I don't, and it's not compatible with my brain. So, and I think agnosticism is a fairly broad spectrum because there's agnostics who maybe lean towards um, deism. I don't know. And, and there's agnostics who lean more towards not, nothing, but I just, I genuinely don't know. I don't think there's a way to know. I don't really have any, have any interest in knowing. I have, an, I have an interest in knowing the knowable, I guess. And if it's unknowable, then I don't really see a point. I love that. I am in a really similar place and, and have been for a while. I, I, I appreciate hearing that's where you're at. I, I don't like the term atheist because then me, I'm being defined by a lack of belief in someone right. else's belief. I don't want that right. to be a part of me. Yeah. Yeah. When we have labels, we talk about what we are. We don't typically talk about what we're not. <laughs> oh, my God. So. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Hear me. It's still in my, it's still in my vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to be an advocate, an advocate for the things that I think humanity is capable of. I want to focus yeah. on, and I think I, for a long time have dabbled in nihilism and that's, you know, maybe it serves its purpose, but I, I like the idea of normalizing what we are rather than what we're not. Yeah, I agree. So you said that you, you had some religious trauma that sort of led you to be the stereotypical angry atheist. I think a, a lot of people who have left religion feel that way or have landed sort of in that, that same place. Um, when religion encompasses your whole life, I think to the point where you're, it's forced upon you in, in a way that maybe it isn't copacetic with how, you, how, you, how you're wired, I think that maybe much, if not all of the life, your life can be susceptible to trauma when it encompasses your life. And so I think that um, definitely there were social traumas I faced because of it. I think I was ill-equipped to deal with the real world in many ways. And uh, maybe maybe so much the religious trauma wasn't it, but trauma resulted because of how ill-equipped I was. Sure. I think that there's a lot of, you know, sexual sexual trauma that happens in the church. Not so much like someone abused me, but I think a lot of the rhetoric in the church surrounding sexuality is abusive. Um, I think that... Um, there's, there's a really weird Stockholm syndrome type thing that's perpetuated, if not with God, then with leaders in the church. There's a lot of expectation that's set upon you. There's a lot of false promises that don't come to fruition. There's, I mean, and all of those things I think can be traumatic. I know I'm, I'm speaking in fairly general terms, but, um, you know, I was led to believe that I was, I was supposed to speak in tongues. I was supposed to, you know, I was going to be this great worship leader. I was going to do all these things and I would see the fruit of that and, and gifts of the spirit that I never experienced. And you, you begin to question your worth as a result. You begin to question your validity. What am I doing wrong? It's a humiliating thing to go through. And I think humiliation leads to trauma. And so it's pretty broad. I think there's a lot of unpacking that I, I haven't even done yet. <laughs> and some that I have. Yeah, it is a, uh, it is a long process. It, Joe and I were, were talking the other day, uh, an ex-religious person, asked us if we still had God's voice in our head or like, or did we find ourselves talking to God in our heads? And both of us said, yes, it was something I hadn't thought about, but it totally still happens to me. Huh. And I don't know if that's something you've experienced, but it's uh, it's that deep programming, you know? I think, 
I, I talk a lot and I'm just used to it. I think it's the ADD, but <laughs> I think something that, I mean, certainly when I was younger and I was actively involved in church, I, I spent a lot of time talking to God. And I think I now just kind of talk to myself a lot. <laughs> I find myself dialoguing with myself, advising myself, critiquing myself, wondering things out loud or inside. That clicks with a lot of your music. Mm. I think that you... I'm just interpreting your lyrics the way I see them, but I feel like there's a lot of self-discussion, a lot of back yeah. and forths that feel like they're inside your head, right? There's oh, even yeah. a song specifically about it, isn't there, on this latest album? Mitosis, probably. Mitosis, yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of ex-religious people who I've spoken to have multiple breaks from the mm -hmm. church. They maybe left the ideology at one point, then they stopped calling themselves a Christian or stop going to church as often, mm -hmm. and then eventually sort of came out to their family or their friends as as a, a non-believer. Was that sort of your experience too, or did you have a, a definitive time when you when you left for good? I think it was kind of incremental. I, ha I was going through what the church and youth groups love to refer to as burnout. <laughs> and I was, it's... Yep. You know, it's something that we were always warned against and in, in gossip circles, oh, this person's just burnt out or that person's burnt out. And I mean, yeah, like when you, when light, when, when youth group or church becomes your whole entire world, it's not surprising that you get burnt out, especially if you're engaging in leadership. And when I was in high school, towards the end of my junior year is when I kind of started walking away. But the first three years of high school, I was, I was part of the, the high school worship team. I was leading junior high worship. So that's two nights a week. And then I had two other nights a week dedicated to practice for the for each associated worship team. Went through some DTS with our youth group. I had to um, do a Bible study weekly that was dedicated to youth leadership, aside from church on Sundays. So basically, I think six days of the week, I was I was doing church stuff. It was such a massive part of my life. And so I think, I mean, I started dating a guy who hindsight was pretty terrible but you know I, I i had social issues i'd been dumped a bunch and I, I seeking validation was something that i think was partly imbued into me because of the church and so i uh wanted to be able to experience having a boyfriend and i got some flack from it from my my youth pastor who felt like i wasn't i was starting to maybe have my sights redirected more so than he wanted and it was frustrating to me because it's like dude i'm doing church stuff 40 hours a week it's basically a full-time job for me where it felt like one maybe and so but um yeah it was just over the course of i think maybe a year year and a half i started finding myself less and less involved and then at some point i think i you know when i was going through treatment it was really hard and i was it's when i first encountered the 12-step program um and i was told while i was getting treatment at a eating disorder facility that was Christian in nature, like, you know, church everyday Christian in nature. Mm -hmm. um, I was told that the only way I'd be able to get out of this situation that I found myself in was through wholly relying on God and admitting that I was powerless over my eating disorder. And I, uh. that, that wasn't, that wasn't really copacetic with me. My reasoning was, is I got myself into that place and there had to be some way I could get out. You know, I, I mean, Obviously, I needed medical assistance to get out. I couldn't do it on my own because I was in deep enough and I was sick enough that I did require help. But the idea that I had no control over it and that I was supposed to just put it in God's lap when I had never really, 
I'd gotten to the point where I'd never experienced God. I had tried hard as I might, and I felt so inadequate because I had never felt his, quote, presence or had, you know, a meaningful experience with him. If anything, I'd been told time and time again, it's not about you, it's about him. So why are you trying to, why are you trying to feel his presence or why are you trying to get anything out of it when it's not about you? It's about worshiping him. And so I absolutely understand that's so manipulative that I, it's like uh, any chance that the church gets to make you rely in another way, put another hook into you to, to make you helpless without them. I mean, really, I mean, helpless without God, but let's be honest, it's without them specifically, without those people yeah. at that church. Yeah, and it's, you know, again, that Stockholm Syndrome thing that kind of persists, I think. And that's, that's a direct quote from the, the my, my youth pastor at one point, several years earlier, I would, I'd just been struggling. I had never felt, I was so jealous of these people who I'd see who attested to having these amazing deep spiritual connections. And I, meanwhile, I'm struggling with socially speaking with one of the hardest years of my life. The one thing I wanted more than anything was to feel God and to feel like God, I was in God's hands because that's what I've been told my whole life. And of course, faith is a, a, a component of that. And I definitely wanted to have faith. And, and I think to some extent I did have faith, but I also just, I, I needed him. I needed him. And I, I sing, I spent all this time singing songs about needing him, writing songs about needing him. And, you know, it was just every time I ever put my hands up towards the ceiling, I, I couldn't get beyond it. And so when I was told it, that this treatment facility, that that's what I had to keep doing it, I think it was a, a source of anger for me. And, 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 and instead of embracing that, I think I rebelled against it. And I, I kind of made it my MO to recover and to do it in the face of all of that. And I think once I was able to do that, it just further confirmed the doubts that had been growing in me over time. So it was very incremental. Yeah. When you finally came out as not Christian, yeah. <laughs> was there a backlash? Did you have a hard oh, yeah. time with your family or friends? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, my friends, not so much. I was at a public school. I was kind of, I think a lot of my friends were like, oh, yay, because I just, by nature, <laughs> I hung out with a lot of people who weren't, you know, I hung out with the rockers and quote unquote, and, and the, the the scene kids and stuff. And so, and so really the only thing I had to contend with was my, my, my family. And they of course were devastated. They were just super devastated. I think to this day there, it, it grieves them, but um, there's a lot of progress that's been made in, in the wounds that resulted from me leaving the church, but yeah, they did not handle it well at all. <clears throat> I didn't either. So, well, you lose a community when that happens, mm -hmm. right? You lose, you lose at least a connection to a community, to your friends or family and, and uh, that means uh, a void, uh, something to rebuild and maybe a new purpose. And that, that kind of brings me to a, a question I have about your, uh, you were really, really involved as a musician in the mm -hmm. church. I was a little bit, so I kind of understand, but it, I mean, that was like, that was your position. That yeah. was your, that was your role in that yeah. church. In serving God, you probably always saw your role as yeah. being a musician. So you've written uh, a ton of music and create some really amazing songs and you tour a lot and do a lot of amazing things with your music, but you lost your purpose in mm -hmm. music, I guess, probably right when you left the church. What was it like oh, yeah. rediscovering that or, or filling that up with, uh, with what it is you do now? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, a lot of my earliest show playing I did in high school and I did it through people who um, were also involved in the church. There's I mean, there's a number of people I could list that you already know um, who had musical ties to the local scene, but also were tied, tethered to 
various religious youth organizations in town. We didn't have any, we didn't cross over at all. You and I, we didn't meet at all no. until after we had both left yeah. the church. It's really interesting. Isn't that wild too? Yeah. You'd think like, you'd think, I mean, I went to, I went to like all those conferences like Ignite and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was, I was familiar with YWAM and King's Kids and all those things. And so I, I mean, you, you'd think I would have known you, but yeah, I didn't. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, you didn't, you didn't need to know Christian the Christian. Christian the Christian sucked. It's okay. Chris, Emily the Christian wasn't that great either. But yeah, I mean, you bring a good point. A lot of my earliest shows, even when I was writing songs that were outside of worship, a worship context, a lot of my purpose, I think, was taken away when I left the church. And um, I didn't play music for a couple of years because of it. I um, Oh, wow. Yeah, I came back from treatment at the end of my senior year, and I played a few shows and then just kind of stopped. Em, I can barely picture you without a guitar in your hand. That blows my mind. I think that you went two years without. <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt like a, a loss of purpose for a bit. And, you know, with the advent of YouTube and, and being able to share music with people in a new way, I started down that route and I got some interest. And it, it definitely inspired me to pick up my guitar again and to start writing songs again and writing songs um, about, you know, my first album came out when I was 20 and... I think there's four or five songs on that album I wrote in high school. Um, wow. But a lot of them I wrote after high school. And um, a lot of them were kind of about me processing this this shift in worldview and, and it kind of as it happened. I have a song called Two Islands. Um, and it was about this divide that I felt between myself and my family. And, uh, you know, I felt like I'd suddenly kind of become a stranger to them. Yeah. And so... It was a painful song, but I, it's a song that I had to get out of me. There's a song I wrote called Public Execution that was just about seeing how people, especially people on the far religious right, would treat certain individuals who might have a spotlight. Maybe they're on the left, maybe they're in Hollywood, maybe they're this or that. But like the vitriol that can be cast on people from a, a religious perspective, it, it, sure. it was a subject of that, that I once, you know, I was once a part of, but now kind of. I saw it from a different perspective and it bothered me and I wanted to process it. And so I, I found myself writing not all of the subject matter on that album, but a couple of songs, I think, started me t- down towards a trajectory that was kind of leaving behind just writing songs about being heartbroken or, or writing songs about God, but trying to find other topics to explore through that lens. Well, I really love where your music has landed. And I say landed now because I'm sure it's still evolving all the time. And, and now I'm sure you have a bunch of new stuff planned. I have always noticed that religious vocabulary is like inseparable from your stuff. <laughs> uh, I almost worry. I almost worry that it's a crutch, but then I also have to just, I, I, I do, I do rely a lot on religious imagery and there is a lot of religious vocabulary and you know, when something's so embedded in you, it's hard to, it never, I don't think it ever completely leaves you. I think maybe, maybe it works its way out of you a little bit, but it's made its impact and it's still there. And so, <laughs> our drummer we, we, when we were writing this last album you know we were trying to come up with a title and i there's a song on it called why weren't they stunned and there's a lot of biblical imagery in that song and there's a couple others that probably have it too and he jokingly he's like emily why don't you just call the album the bible <laughs> it just made me laugh <laughs> because because i do realize that it, it it finds its way into a lot of my songs and it's not done because i have any kind of vendetta i don't have any vendetta i have no animosity really towards specific people i have animosity towards a, a culture that isn't associated with all christians but many of them 
Um, and so, but that's not, it's not written out of anger. It's written because those are the words that were put into me from a very young age. And so they're the ones that are accessible to me still to this day. And so um, I think that there's sure. something very, there's something very mysterious. And I don't know, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. When you look at the Bible, I mean, some people, the Bible can be looked at in many ways. When I think of the Bible, I think of something that's very primal. And I don't say that like in meaning in a diminutive way, but I think there's just a base human emotions that are articulated through a lot of these stories that are so universal, but there's something very secret and dark and primal about a lot of them. And that's, I don't know why that's the word that comes to mind, but I don't know how to describe it other than that. And so I relate to that. I like it. There's this, this, this secrety, secretive, you know, like when you think of the early messianic religions, like very Gnostic, drenched yeah. in, in, in imagery that's very, you know, secretive and, and dark. And I, I like that. I'm drawn to that. And so a lot of that imagery still resonates with me. That's great. I absolutely get where you're coming from. That's the reason that books like Dan Brown's books sell, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll probably sure. take to Dan Brown. But yeah, there are a lot of like references to religion sort of evokes this this old ancient mystery, right? This mm-hmm. uh, The Bible and Christianity even now is filled with these ceremonies and practices that are just barely one step away from animal sacrifice, from yeah. human sacrifice. I mean, yeah. past we did, let's literally a human sacrifice holiday, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, your new album, your most recent album is uh, Never a Moment Alone and uh, love it. I play it in the bar all the time. Sweet, thank you. <laughs> and uh, and I did, I specifically had, I put uh, Why Weren't They Stunned on, on the list here of things I wanted to talk about because yeah. it, is, it was the one, uh, that song, Why Weren't They Stunned, is the one that I guessed was probably the only song on that album that is overtly about religion. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't know if it's about religion. I think it's about pacifism gone apathetic Mm. um i think it's about a frustration it was born out of seeing the lack of care or concern we have for one another but the lack of care and concern we have regarding climate change regarding covid regarding so much um socially speaking this just that looms um and we just kind of look at it and we shrug instead of running around like chickens with our heads cut off which is what i think maybe would be a more appropriate response to some (laughs) things you know and so I liked the idea of, of, you know, the river turning to blood being whatever event catastrophic or otherwise should concern us, you know, ever deepening um, wealth divide, foreign relations, climate change, what have you, things that are imminent and should be of imminent concern and us just kind of staring at them and and a river turning to blood. Anybody seeing that in real time would lose their, their goddamn mind. But you know, the imagery of somebody seeing that and going, yeah, that's fine. That's cool. Let's go, let's go have a beach day. <laughs> that's oh a frustration boy. of mine. And so I, yeah. of course I use that because, because the time in which it was written was the, a lot of people were thinking about plagues <laughs> in sure. general. And there was a lot of, it was, I mean, maybe it was an easy low hanging fruit to grab, but it was the one that came to mind. And because that's the, the, the tales of Moses um, and the Old Testament, really in general, and especially the, the first five books of it, there's so much imagery to draw from. It's absolutely, especially like, especially with regard to like the Exodus and, and things of that nature. It's just so, so much to draw from. And so, yeah, my guess was that it was allegory of some kind that it was, uh, and that makes a lot of sense to me. It, it felt uh, like you were drawing a direct connection between the uh, the Egyptians who refused to acknowledge the plagues as whatever yeah so that makes perfect sense to me 
That's great. That's really wonderful. If you had to pinpoint what sort of uh, idea or ideas replaced God worship in your music, what are those? Um, are there specific themes that you sort of latched onto and have have stuck with you since then? I'm trying to think of positives. I, I, something I, I really would love to do is to be able to find more positivity in my music. A lot of what I write is heavy and dark, and I, I like that too. It has served its purpose, but I'd like to explore with other themes. But I think, I think um, mental health plays a role. I think I, what I'd like to be able to do is just express more hope in my music, and I'd, I'd like to see my music get to a place where that hope, maybe a humanistic hope of sorts, I think, could maybe replace God worship. <laughs> I don't know. Many, sure. many years later, I think right <laughs> now, I think right now it's a healthy dose of sarcasm and concern over social issues and, and mental health. I think that makes up the bulk of a lot of what I sing about. <laughs> Absolutely. Your music is incredible and I have no doubt that you can get there. And I think that's a, a turn that I would like to see. It, that's kind of cool. I, I One of the things I really like about your music is how brutal and how honest and how harsh it can be. Gosh, harsh isn't the right word. How pointed, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, your music doesn't fuck around. And so <laughs> like your songs are, your songs hit, you know? And, yeah. uh, but that absolutely doesn't mean that there's not room for hope and positivity in yeah. fact, I think that the post-religious community could use a lot of hard-hitting hope. Yeah. Oh, that's rad. I just have one more question for you. Sure. I'm really curious if there are Christian bands that you still love or still listen to. Hmm. No. <laughs> no, none at all, huh? <laughs> here's, here's the deal. I mean, there are Christian bands that I really liked, and stylistically speaking, like Jars of Clay. Sure. I, I, they're, they make they made good music. I liked it. I, I, I don't really relate to it anymore, so I don't really listen to it. Um, sure. I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, there were a lot of there were a lot of bands I listened to that were Christian crossover, but I think I hate those bands more than I mean, like, I think philosophically, I don't like those bands. There was a band called Switchfoot. There's, you know, yeah. Lighthouse or Lifehouse or whatever bands like that with that we're clearly, I mean, we'd sing them in our youth group, but they had those songs on the radio. And I think they were trying to tap into two different markets, which I thought was like lame. Like I still find myself at sometimes I still find myself an angry Christian. Like, I don't know if that resonates with you at all. Yes. But like, uh -huh. but like when I, when I, when I, and I feel like a lot of it is like extra conservative. Like my dad's a pretty, he, my dad's into super reformational theology and, and I think there's some commonality I share with that and where I look at what's popular amongst Christianity and I, I reject it um, and it frustrates me because part of me is like well it, where's this coming from it's not coming from a genuine love of Christ and wanting to you know exalt yeah, him it's coming posers. from your own selfish agenda totally totally I saw it as like if you're going to write a song and your intent is to worship God do that I still feel that yeah. way if yeah. your intention is to write a song and to and your intention is to worship God in the process and to lead other people into worship, do exactly that. Don't try to do that and then court the radio and get mainstream success out of it. Yeah, that's so, don't both so, sides me here. No, yeah, and and there's other times too where I where I, I find myself like like an old man on the patio who 
who's angry at these kids on his lawn and the kids are like some popular trend in Christianity. And, and I, I still, I still feel that, that like that purist in me or that, that person who, what's your, where's your heart? What is your heart in glorifying God? Or is it in, that's still <laughs> weird. It's still like a weird part of me, even though I, I don't give a yep. shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, yeah. I do, but it's, it's just really weird. It's just really it's like, weird. <laughs> is the hypocrite worse than the ardent Christian? You know, it's a real question. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know what my first concert was, Christian? Oh, no. You're going to love hear. this. Carmen. Oh, no. Oh, that was my, my very God. first. We, <laughs> he went to the Pan Am or somewhere with, with that whole, who's in the house, JC. We were super into that, and that was my first, that's the first concert I remember going to. So I am like 95% sure that I was there at the Pan Am Center for that <laughs> show. Like, full on. <laughs> That's Super so glad that no one I know now <laughs> saw me and remembers me dancing around singing to fucking Satan bite the dust. Oh my god, that's so funny. That's <laughs> so funny. Wow. Uh, well, M, this was amazing. You're an absolute killer, and I fucking love your stuff. And I love Thanks, you, man. and I miss you. And I please tell all your bandmates that I love them and miss them. Yeah. Because fucking rock. Heretic Party is produced and edited by me, Christian Atley. Joe is a whole new breed of co-host of Today, and Leanne Collins is our content producer, researcher, and authorized and deputized to blow you clean away. Follow us on social media at Heretic Party on Instagram and Twitter. And reach out to us on our website, hereticparty.com. You can find Emily Davis and the Murder Police on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, you know, all those things. Thanks again to M for sharing their story with us. Talking about a religious past isn't something everyone is ready to do. And that's cool. Do it in your own time, you know? Remember, happy lost souls, your stories deserve to be heard. You deserve friends and community who listen to you and support you. If you're struggling, recoveringfromreligion.org is a great nonprofit resource for individuals who have questions about changing or leaving their faith. They have a support hotline you can call anytime. We'll see you on May 29th for our next episode. Listen to good music. Fuck the hypocrites. Peace. Heretic Party is a member of Brad Pantheon, a collective of podcasters, artists, musicians, and other creative types who do our best to connect you with rad stuff you'll enjoy. If you like what we do, check out radpantheon.com or look for at radpantheon on Instagram or Twitter.